risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Church, would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence with us today. And Lord, we thank you that we have a reason to celebrate because of you. God, we have good news to share today. And Father, as we dig into your word, I pray that you would make that new to us. Lord, would you speak to our hearts? Would you help us for these few brief moments to center our minds on nothing but you? God, we are so grateful for your love that has made all things new. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning we have been walking through the last moments of the earthly life of Jesus. You experience the sadness of those closest to him and the confusion that resulted from what was presumed to be the end. After all, those who loved Jesus had just watched him die a brutal death. It was traumatic. It was unjust. The world was hopeless and dark. Everything that felt like it was right was suddenly gone. And it's in that mindset that we walk into John 20 that Pastor Greg read for us this morning. So if you have your Bible or your phone with you today, I'd invite you to turn to John 20 with me. Mary Magdalene is mentioned in all four of the Gospels, those first four books of the New Testament, which is a testimony to her impact on the story of Jesus. Magdalene is not actually her name, but a reference to a place, in this case, her hometown. In the book of Luke, we learn that Mary Magdalene traveled with Jesus and the Twelve during his ministry, and, and in chapter 8 of the book of Luke, we learn that Jesus actually cast seven demons out of Mary. You see, these women, Mary and other women that were traveling with Jesus, were helping to support this ministry out of their own means. Mary had made a conscious decision to leave everything that was conventional, everything that was socially acceptable about her place in life to accompany Jesus and the rest of his followers because she had experienced the power of Jesus at work in her life and in her heart. She knew firsthand what it meant to have a broken life restored by Jesus Christ. She knew that it changed everything. And so perhaps it was gratitude. Perhaps it was desperation. Perhaps it was because she simply felt like she needed to do something that we find her coming to the tomb on that Easter morning. Mary immediately sees, as she comes upon the place, the tomb located in the garden, that, that something's wrong because the stone that had been rolled in the front of that tomb as a door when she reached it in those early hours of the day, it was gone. In her mind, full of despair, it appears that the unthinkable has happened. This was insult to injury. Her mind goes to the worst case scenario, someone has taken Jesus. She goes for backup and John and Peter join her and John looks in the tomb and sees the burial wrappings there, but doesn't go inside. And Peter goes inside and sees that the tomb is indeed empty. They see and, and believe, God's word tells us, that somehow Jesus has 
overcome death, but they don't yet understand that a resurrection has taken place here, and they go home. Mary, however, Mary persists. She stays at the tomb, weeping, looking again. And when she looks again, she sees two angels. They ask her, and I love this, why are you crying? She's bitterly weeping. And if I can editorialize for a minute, she would have had to have been feeling such complex emotions. She's desperate for this to not be the end of the story. She's despondent that Jesus, whom she followed and loved and dedicated so much of her recent life to, seems to be gone and that even in death, he couldn't be given honor. This is where we've left just a couple of days ago, Good Friday, and friends, it's not hard given the news and the headlines we've heard just this week and the heavy things that we carry individually, things like job loss and sickness and broken relationships. It's not hard for us to put ourselves in Mary's state of despair. One contemporary theologian says this, the world's grief, the grief of the entire world is experienced right here in Mary's tears. She's absolutely broken. She looks again and suddenly, through her tears, sees these two angels and gives them an honest answer. Why am I weeping? Because they've taken Jesus. She turns around and in that moment finds herself face to face with Jesus Christ. She doesn't recognize him at first, but the moment he utters her name, she has no doubt about who is standing before her. It's her Savior, the one who called her by name. You see, we, we don't know a lot about Mary's life before she met Jesus. We know that she was possessed by demons, which at the very least means that she was a slave to forces that felt entirely beyond her own control. I think we do know enough about Mary for all, us all to feel a little bit of ourselves in her, someone whose identity was shaped by a label. She was shaped by being demon-possessed. She was a victim of a terrible circumstance. Maybe you come into this place this morning and you can relate. Maybe you're identified by something that's happened to you or someone who is known only because of the repeated mistakes you made. Maybe your mind can't get past your own imperfections. Maybe you simply don't know what it feels like to be truly loved and known by the one who created you fearfully and wonderfully. Maybe it's strange that we don't know more about Mary's story, that we don't get to hear more about what her life was like. But perhaps, perhaps that's by design. Because Jesus never identified her by her circumstances. Only who she was in him. A disciple. A wholehearted follower of the way. She is a new creation. She's beloved. She's welcomed. She's transformed. So Mary 
who witnessed the transformative love of God and her own healing gets to witness to the greatest transformation that the world has ever known. I find it so interesting here that the scripture tells us that she supposes at one point that Jesus is the gardener. And it's kind of easy to laugh that off. But here's the interesting thing that's happening in the resurrection of Christ. He is, in many ways, a gardener ushering in a new kind of creation. There's an undoing and a new creation happening all over this garden that held his tomb, the one in which Mary has encountered him. You see, we are a people who were born into a world that is sinful. We don't have to look far to see the brokenness all around us to feel the despair of sinful choices and the devastating impact of sin on our personal lives and on the world. And this is nothing new. In the book of Genesis, we see that before sin entered the picture, God created a perfect world for Adam and Eve to live in. The creation account tells us that God had given them this perfect garden where they would need Nothing, all that they needed, he had provided. And he gave them a specific set of guidelines to follow, rules that were meant for their good and for their freedom. But in that same account, we read that Eve, with Adam by her side, is deceived by the enemy. Tempted and then takes a bite from a forbidden tree. This goes against God's plan for them. Sin enters the picture. Adam and Eve realize that things are different and the perfect world that they were living in has become broken because of their actions. They're ashamed. We read that they point fingers at one another. Shame and blame begin to overtake the garden that God created for them and the world is never, ever the same It's the same brokenness that we're experiencing even today. Contrast that then with our encounter of Jesus' final moments. We see that he too experiences the shame of the brokenness of the world. He's he's stripped naked and he is hung on a different type of tree. This one shaped like a cross. The sinful actions of the world are culminating in a horrible, unjust death. One author suggests that right there in the middle of Jesus' final moments on earth is a reenactment of Adam and Eve's final moments in the garden. Shame, blame, events not transpiring under the limbs of a tree, but under the shadow of a cross. Jesus is laid in a tomb that we're told in John 19 is located in a garden. And we find this woman, Mary Magdalene, three days later in the same place. And the woman, rather than being the person around whom a story of brokenness unfolds as it was in Genesis, is one around whom a story of resurrection is told. The garden is no longer a setting for death and destruction The woman's story is not centered on the sin she committed. She is the entry point for God's big rescue plan. His redemption of sin, not just hers, but for the sin of the world. 
in the renewal of all things. God is doing something new here. His plan, his plan is to overcome the ultimate consequences of sin through the love he poured out for us on the cross. It happens on an individual level, certainly, for you and for me. But it's also happening on a collective level. It happens so that the whole world gets to be made new. Jesus willingly, obediently went to the garden to be crucified to undo the original disobedience in the garden that brought us brokenness and shame. But everything that was done in that first garden, all that brokenness is undone in the work of Jesus on the cross. And so Mary, who we found weeping, is again transformed. She's allowed once again to move from hopelessness to hope. The one who delivered her from bondage, from all that weighed her down, is reminded, reminding her of the new story to which she is invited. It's a story that's true for every individual. It's a story, again, that's true for you and for me. It's a good news story for the entire world. A world that God promises us he is in the business of making new. See, friends, this is the way God works. He's constantly moving us from sorrow to joy in the great reversal of what brought humanity here in the first place. Jesus, Jesus is bringing salvation from sin, and he's bringing in this new creation that God has laid out for the world. He calls Mary by name, and then he tells her to go and to proclaim that he is not dead. He is alive. And that makes all the difference. In the book, the Jesus Storybook Bible, which maybe you have on, on your kids' shelves, I highly recommend it. It's by an author named Sally Lloyd-Jones. She paints this beautiful image of what Mary's next steps may have looked like. Mary ran and ran all the way to the city. She had never run so fast or so far in her life. She felt like she could have run forever. She didn't even feel like her feet touched the ground. The sun seemed to be dancing and gleaming and bounding across the sky, racing with her and shining brighter than she could ever remember in the clear, fresh air. And it seemed to her that morning as she ran, almost as if the whole world was singing for joy. The trees, the tiny sounds in the grass, the birds, her heart. Was God really making everything sad come untrue? Was he making even death come untrue? The answer then, the answer today, and the answer forevermore, friends, is yes. Yes! It's what he came to do, to take the broken things, to bind them up, and to make them new. The kingdom of God, this world that he is actively reshaping, even today, specializes in taking what seems to be beyond redemption, beyond hope, beyond help even, and giving it new life. His story is different. 
So to you this morning who feels like you're beyond help, beyond hope, to you who feels like your secret sin, the things that are hiding so deep in your heart that you would never tell anybody, is too great that you feel like that sin is too great for his love to cover if you are here today and you even doubt who he is. If you're here today and your heart is hurting The tomb stands empty because his love rewrote your story. What is dark and hopeless and hidden in your life, it doesn't have to stay there because God loved you enough to send his son for you and for the entire world. The story of Easter, it changes our past, it changes our present, and praise God, it changes our future. It's it's God's rescue plan for all of us in action even today. We are no longer people who have to live in the garden of shame and blame. We are people living in the new creation. People who get to be a new creation because Jesus conquered death. We get to have hope because we know hope. And if you're here today and you don't know this hope, if you've never said yes, to this story of God, love that God has written for you, there's no better time than now. And if you feel like maybe this is a hope you once knew and you've wandered away, there's no better day than today to be reminded that God wants to make you new. This is the business he's in. He's good and he's faithful and he wants to write the most beautiful story for your life. You can trade the label that you walked in here with today and exchange it for one that says you are beloved, you are redeemed, you are restored. And this is today's invitation, the great invitation of Easter to be people who emerge from the grave of our sin as new creations with lives full of faith in the one who calls us his own. The great thing about Resurrection Sunday is that this isn't good news confined to just one day. We get to make this choice. We get to make this choice whether we want to spend the rest of our lives in a garden of sin and disobedience or whether we want to choose to move into the garden of new life. Jesus invites us to experience a life in him that is defined by one thing and one thing only and that is his victorious love for you. If that sounds like good news to you today, if you believe that this is the kind of kingdom, the kind of life that you want to be a part of. Jesus was really clear. He asks one simple thing of us, and that's simply this. Believe in who he is. Recognize your need to be rescued. Believe that his resurrection changes everything. So this is is tugging on your heart. In a minute, we're going to pray and As we get done praying, if if this is the first time you've said yes to Jesus, or maybe it's the first time in a really long time, would you commit to me that you'd tell someone? If you pray these words today from your heart and use them as a confession of faith in Jesus, don't leave without marking this day. Don't leave without tapping that person that brought you this morning on the shoulder and saying, that was for me. I want to be made new. And we're going to sing a song of celebration together. 
And I just want to remind you that these altars are up, up front are open to you. If coming forward is what you need to mark this day as the day in which Christ became real to you, there'll be people who are willing to celebrate and pray with you this morning. Maybe you just need to simply stand and raise your hands and surrender. Let today be the day that you want to be a part of what God is doing. Would you stand and let's pray together? Holy, good, creator God, we declare today that you alone are worthy of our praise, of our adoration, of our heart's joyful declaration. Lord, may your name be honored. Lord, we desire that your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth and in our hearts. God, we confess that we fall short. We've sinned. We've not lived up to the mission you've given us as your people. We've sought our will instead of yours. But God, we know that today because of this good news that Jesus has given his life out of love and been resurrected, conquering death in the grave, that our story does not end in this present darkness. So Lord, would you forgive us and help us forgive others so that we do not have to be enslaved to the brokenness of our sin. We profess today and we proclaim that he is risen because we know you alone are our Savior. God, may we rely fully on you to be the author of our stories. And Lord, would you help us from this day forward to trust wholly in you. Lord, may we recenter our lives on your kingdom, your power, and your glory from this day forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.